You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Well, we are going to, I'm going to pray one more time here in just a second, Um, but we're going to start a new series this morning on the book of Jonah. Um, There's a lot in this story of this short book that I think a lot of us miss if we're familiar with it. And uh, I know, I know that just in my own heart and the preparing that I've been doing in this book, I've just, I've been so excited. God's been things just asking for him to do that work in my own heart, my own life, before I attempt to share it with you. Um, but would you pray with me? Just I'd just like to pray a blessing over this series and this time together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, you give it to us. Your written word, we don't have to wonder if you're speaking to us because it's in front of us, Lord. It's on apps on our phones and tablets, and it's, we can even Google it. Thank you, God. Thank you for speaking to us through it. And Lord, we ask for your blessing and your favor and your guidance for us as we desire to study this book, a book that you made certain was in your word, uh, a book about a man that you called to be his prophet and a man who was not perfect in that, but a man that you showed much mercy and grace to. In your name, amen. My beautiful wife, if you didn't know, uh, she's going to she's gonna read it to us this morning. So she's great at it. And I was like, I don't know anybody better who could read this out loud. So she's going to read a chapter and then I'll jump in. And then she'll finish the book, and you guys may wish I sat down instead of her. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate her reading this to us this morning. Okay, I know this thing is finicky. Is it on? I can get really loud. <laughs> Tony, I know. Okay. Thank you for letting me read this. I've been excited all week. Okay, Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the seas and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. 
And don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. And then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. As you just heard, the writer of this book immediately jumps into the story. There's, an, there's no introduction to Jonah. There's no explanation of kind of what's going on in history. There's not even the, the lineage report that you get in some of the books where you have the so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. Yet, what we're going to attempt to do as part of our time together today is we're going to look at that because there are other resources, there are other books in the Bible that we can look at and gain that understanding in that context. And the reason being is that it helps us better see this picture that God might want us to learn in this. See, God desires for us to research this, to understand this, to grow in this. As as we do, we learn to trust him more fully. We learn greater pictures of his love for us. And so we will do that. We will look at the surrounding history, some of the facts in history and the world history timeline, the nation of Israel, Jonah, uh, and what his role was in all of that beyond just in this story. But before we do that, let's listen to the rest of the book first. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me, and your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne and took off his royal robe and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree to Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles. No person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with. And he did not do it. Four. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my country? That 
That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat down in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God planted a pl- then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right. He replied, I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and left, as well as many animals. Thank you. You're good. Don't you want to just like have her pick up the Lord of the Ring trilogy and just have her read it to you? <laughs> If you have not found Jonah yet in your Bible, it's in the Old Testament. If you see Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea, it should be about right after that. We're going to center in on just the first couple of verses today. But our message today is titled, Busted Motivators. Busted Motivators. If you're familiar with Star Wars... Episode 4, I thought it'd be appropriate to have another Star Wars illustration, thanks to Ollie's birthday last week and his Jedi mastery with would-bees. You remember this scene where Luke and his uncle are going to purchase some droids where he's being introduced to C-3PO and R2-D2, and before he ends up with R2-D2, this droid is attempting to come over to them, and he blows a gasket or something, and the top pops off and smoke comes out, and And he's like, Uncle Owen, this one's got a bad motivator. You know, we need a different droid. I think we as humans are all born with a bad motivator. In fact, Scripture tells us that. Psalms 51.5 says that we are born into sin. Romans 7.14 also says that. There's a hymn called, Come Thou Fount. And there's a line in it that says, Our hearts are prone to wander prone to flee the God that we love. We default towards being motivated towards the wrong things, being motivated towards what we want, towards us being God of our life, as opposed to what God wants and Him being God of our life. Before we go further into the book, though, I must I must address an area of criticism that many believers and unbelievers alike have about this story in the Bible, and that is where Jonah becomes a snack for a great fish and survives three days in its belly. And there's some science out there, and there's some things like that that they think it could be done, and people they documented a guy that survived a day or two in a fish and, and was okay. Uh, But really, the bottom line to this is not so much about whether or not that can happen. It's really, what do we believe? So, is, is the greater miracle, Tim Keller says this, is the greater miracle really Christ raising from the dead? Or Jonah surviving in the fish belly for a couple of days? I mean, really, what's the greater miracle? And many of us have no problem, in fact, it can be proven in history, that Christ did rise from the dead, proven as much or more than anything else that happened in history. And yet, we're like, yeah, I don't know if Jonah could hang out in a fish 
belly for three days and make it. It's like, well, really? <laughs> I don't know about that. So let's move past that. We either believe that Christ rose from the dead or we don't. And if he did, this is easy. This is easy, right? So let's, let's get over this and move on. So let's step back in time. Step back in time with me, if you will. Let's look back at the stage in world history. And almost like, like if we're going to go on a long road trip or a hike, we would need to research and plan out the route, the route that we were going to take. Yeah, I caught myself saying, where are you? He's my grammar police when we get done. Tells me everything I mispronounced. Um, when you plan it out, right, you got to have an idea of where you're going, the best route to get there, or if you're going on a long hike, you need to pack accordingly, you know how everything's going to fit in your backpack and how you're going to go about that. That's kind of like what this is. We can't expect today in our time to look at Scripture and just take it only for what it says. And we can do that with a lot of it, and it speak to us. God is good and faithful that way, but if we truly want to grow, if we truly want to grow in our understanding of who he is, his love for us, his desire for us in this life, we're going to have to do some digging and researching. Okay? So let's do that together. And there's much more out there that I encourage each of you to do on your own. All right? The story takes place during the 41-year reign of King Jeroboam II. All right? Approximately 786 to 746 B.C. Okay, that's before Christ. So 786 to 746 years before Christ was born. At this time, he was one of the most powerful kings in the northern kingdom. God's people were divided into two kingdoms during this time, Israel and Judah. And he was king of the Israel section, the northern kingdom. And we can see that in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 to 29. Jeroboam, however, was known for doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Not exactly how we want to be known by, I hope, when our life is over, when our time of being a husband or a dad or a follower of Christ or a co-worker, an employee, known for being evil. That's the tagline on this guy, and that's in 2 Kings 14, 24. Now, up to this point in the surrounding area, the Assyrians had pretty much dominated everyone around them. Okay, the nation of Assyria was pretty much on a rampage, dominating everyone around them. And what we need to know about them is they were one of the most violent, cruel nations to ever exist in world history. Okay, they, they were horrible. It was sport for them to be as cruel and as vile and as violent to the nations they conquered as they could get away with and do or come up with. It was sport for them. The Assyrian city of Nineveh is even described as the city of blood in Nahum 3.1. If that doesn't give you an idea, I don't know what else will. Historical accounts of their conquest reveal some of the atrocities. I'm not going to go into very many here. Um, just to give you a quick idea, one of them is, is one of their things that they like to decorate their walls with was the skin from the victims. Okay? That's just a small taste of what they would do. The nation of Israel was one of its many victims. Reason being is they were doing what was evil in God's sight. In fact, other prophets prophesied that this would happen if Israel did not repent and turn back to God. Um, Nahum, Ezekiel, Hosea, some of them along the way that prophesied that this would happen. You can see that in Isaiah 9 and 2 Kings 17. Around 814 B.C., an internal dissension caused the Assyrians' power to decline. And Jeroboam, second, even though he was doing evil in God's sight, took advantage of this and God allowed him to expand this kingdom. In fact, Jonah even prophesied that this would take place. In 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah being the one that prophesied that in spite of Jeroboam's evil, God would expand the borders of Israel during this time. 
Okay, so that's kind of the stage in world history that what's going on before, during, a little bit after, during this timeline of the story of Jonah. The main character in the story is not Jonah. I didn't ask you guys to tell me that because I always feel like when somebody asks me that, it's a trick question. I didn't want you to feel that way. The main character in the story is God, not Jonah. God's character and nature is on full display throughout the book. God is a righteous judge. God is a merciful savior. God is a provider. God is a loving father. God as a sovereign creator, desiring for his people to learn to trust him, to obey him, to follow him, and for his people to have a heart for other people and other nations like he himself has. God revealing the greatest commandment in the Old Testament that Jesus said was so in Matthew 22. Supporting character is Jonah. Jonah's name means dove. He was the son of Amittai, who was also a prophet. So he was in the family business, right? Dad was a prophet. He was a prophet. Interestingly enough, Jonah's hometown was located just a few miles north of Nazareth in Israel, called Gath Hefer. Now, really quick, any of you who have seen the VeggieTale movie Jonah, push pause on the soundtrack in your mind right now, okay? <laughs> push pause. Jonah was a prophet. <laughs> Just push pause, okay? <laughs> Just push pause. While that is a great movie, has some good morals in it, it misses a lot of the actual account, okay? So Jonah grew up just a few miles away from Nazareth where Jesus would be born and, and grow up as well. Well, he wasn't born there, but where he would grow up. Jonah served as a prophet from around 793 to 753 before Christ during Jeroboam II's reign. He's mentioned two other places in Scripture. Okay? It's not just this book. 2 Kings 14.25, as already mentioned. And then also in the New Testament, Jesus himself mentions Jonah in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. There's only three other prophets that Christ is recorded having mentioned in the New Testament, Jonah being one of them. The mission that God gave Jonah to preach repentance and go to the city of Nineveh, the city of blood, was unprecedented. You see, God had Jonah prophesy that Israel would take back some of that which Assyria had taken from them. God even used other prophets, as I mentioned, to prophesy against the Assyrians at times. But in no other place in Scripture has God asked a prophet to then go to that foreign Gentile nation until Jonah now. This is a rendering of what Nineveh might have looked like. It's in, I believe it's in Iran today is what we know as Iran, if you want to kind of look it up and do some Google searches on it. If something like this were to happen today, the closest illustration I could come up with would have been like right after 9-11. Would have been like if President Bush or Cheney or even Bill O'Reilly would have got up within a few days of 9-11 happening, found Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda and gone to them and asked them to repent. It's kind of hard to imagine that, isn't it? And that's essentially what God's asking Jonah to do here. Here's a terrorist nation inflicting pain and destruction, terror on all of its surrounding nations. And God's saying, I want you to go to them and ask him to repent and preach that. Other characters in the book will be the sailors. We'll see the sailors on the ship to Tarshish. Jonah tried to hire them so that he could run away from God. We'll hear from the Ninevites, the Assyrians, that, goes, that Jonah eventually goes to and preaches to. And we'll even take a little bit of a look at a great fish. All right, with these things in mind, okay, we've got our destination a little bit in mind. We've got our route, our route planned a little bit. Let's get going. But I want to make a quick disclaimer. 
There is nothing new under the sun, right? So I did a lot of studying on this. I consulted the Bible first. I looked at several different commentaries. I read a book by Tim Keller uh, called The Prodigal Prophet. It was a great book. Learned a lot, learned a, learned a lot of heart things about it uh, from his book. I'm going to do my best to give credit where credit is due as we go along through this series, but I'm also making a disclaimer here. I in no way take credit for anything I say, okay? First off, it's from God, okay? Number one, I pray that I don't say anything he would not have me say every time I get up. I ask for you to pray that for me and anybody else who teaches up here, okay? Second off, I in no way am trying to take credit for work or inspiration that God has given somebody else through their study their commentary, their book, okay? So just kind of want to lay that out as the foundation here and just let you know that, you know, don't quote me as the owner of it, just praise God for it, okay? We'll give him the credit. How about that? Okay. All right. So moving on. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 1, 2 and the first part of verse 3. If you're able and willing, would you stand for me with this part? I wasn't going to have you stand the whole time Dee was reading, obviously. But let's stand for this part together. And feel free to read along if you'd like. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot of points in just these first couple of verses we could, we could drill down and make, um, believe it or not. But the two that I want us to look at here today is Jonah fled and Jonah had bad theology. Okay? Theology is what we believe about God. All right? Jonah fled and Jonah had bad theology. So first, let's look at Jonah fled. With the understanding that we have now, thanks to the context, thanks to what we know about Assyria and what they were doing to people, what they'd done to Israel, all around them, there's, there's some more understanding as to why he immediately got up and went the other way, right? It wasn't like he just got up on a whim one day and just like, hey, I'm not going to be a prophet for you, God, anymore. I'm out of here. It wasn't like that. It was like, can you imagine what he was playing in his mind God, you just had me prophesy against them. My, my predecessors, my buddies, the other prophets, they have prophesied against them. I have family and friends that they have decorated their walls with their skin. And you want me to go and ask them to repent? Are you kidding? But Jonah fled instead of doing what God asked him to. You see, God wouldn't have asked him to go and repent, to preach repentance to them, if there wasn't a chance that they might. And Jonah knew this. He knew this about God. He knew that if he's being called to go somewhere and asking him to repent them, there's a chance they might. And then what if God forgave them? What if God forgave this terroristic nation? And now all of a sudden, they're going to be his favorite people too? What an unprecedented mission that God was asking Jonah to go on. He didn't have anything to look back to in history to see that God had done this before. And so he's truly having to go on faith if he were to obey and follow through with this assignment. But what's even more of an issue here than this unprecedented assignment, as unbelievable as it must have felt to Jonah, the issue here is that he was unwilling to obey what God asked him to do. Thus solidifying himself as the first prophet recorded to ever having completely directly disobey God when he was asked to do something. Now, I must caution us, we have to be careful here because it's very easy for us to sit here today 
and to cast judgment on Jonah. And to say, I can't believe that he would do that. I mean, God probably in all reality was speaking to him in a dream or vision or even audibly. And he flat out didn't obey him. But instead of casting judgment, do this exercise with me as I've tried to do over the last several weeks. Put yourselves in his shoes. Put yourself in Jonah's shoes and apply the principle of our circumstances to his. What is it that God is asking us to do that we are ignoring or fleeing from? What is that? We could ask ourselves, is he asking me to forgive somebody? Is he asking me to go to somebody and to repent for wrongs that we've done to them? Is he asking me to go to a trusted, God-fearing friend and, and confess secret sins to them so that you would have accountability and prayer and encouragement and support in that? Is he asking me to end an ungodly dating relationship? A relationship that does not glorify God. He is not at the center of it. And it's more about what can you give me? What can I take from you? Is he asking me to quit sitting on the sidelines and join him on mission? By serving. Here, serving a neighbor, serving... Maybe across the world. It's not as if God hasn't asked other people to do some pretty crazy things. Like the families who welcome kids into their home, who foster them. And sometimes even adopt them. Kids who are going through really hard things. What about the missionary families that have said goodbye to everything they know, career, family, friends, to follow him and go across the world or across the country? What about even those who give and pray sacrificially so others can go, the senders, the Joshes and Lauren Mannings who are in Knoll, serving unreached people in a neighboring town? Jonah definitely had some crazy examples to look at, things that God had asked other prophets to do, other people in history. God asked Noah to build a boat in the middle of the desert where there was no rain happening. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Can you imagine the talk of the town Noah must have been? God asked Moses to go back to the people where he was from and wanted for murder And to be an instrument for God to lead it. And by the way, he had to go directly before Pharaoh, who could have done this and had him killed on the spot. And God asked him to go and stand before him and to trust him that he would deliver him. God asked Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 4 to lay on his side for 390 days. Write that down. Look it up later if you don't believe me. Isaiah 20 I'm not even going to bring that up. Write that down. Look it up later. There's some crazy things that God asked Isaiah to do too. Hosea, God asked him to marry a prostitute when that was forbidden. In that day, in that time, in that culture, that was forbidden for God's people, but God asked him to marry him as a representation of God's love for his people who were adulterous and their relationship with God because they were disobeying from him, running from him. And she, this lady left Hosea and went back to her lifestyle and God asked Hosea to bring her back. And then he asked Hosea to name his kids some really crazy names like unloved. <laughs> That's what it meant. Guys, this is in the Bible. Jonah had some crazy examples. We have some crazy examples of things that God calls us and others to do. 
Yet this is what I know is true from having the privilege of knowing some of these people personally who are friends, who've followed those crazy calls. Some of those crazy calls we've got to do ourselves. This is what I know. God is there every step of the way. And when I look at my life when I was not following his call and I look at my life from when we were, even if this life felt like, looked like, more success in the world's eyes, there was never satisfaction. There was never peace. There was never joy, regardless of what my bank account even said compared to this other one. You see, God will never ask us to go or do something where he has not already gone before us. He will never ask us to go or do something where he has already not gone before us and is already there working. He's inviting us to join him. Jump in the game with me. Join me on mission. Serving him is where we find our true joy and satisfaction this side of heaven. And what God asks us to do will always line up with Scripture and what it says about His nature and character and law every single time. So in those two things, we can have assurance and confidence and hope. So Jonah fled. Some of us may think rightly so. And yet it was in direct disobedience to what God wanted for him. Jonah also had bad theology. Jonah's busted motivator affected his ability to not only obey God, but also to understand God in his nature. Did he really think he could run from God's presence? I mean, was his theology that bad? Did he really think that there was a place on the other side of the world? Maybe he thought, well, God's people aren't in Tarshish which, by the way, is somewhere over around Spain, like 2,500 miles away from where he started, 2,500 miles in the wrong direction from where he was supposed to go. Maybe God's not there since his people aren't there. I don't know. Did he he forget about the psalmist in Psalm 139 that penned these words? Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is hell, you are there. It is not possible to flee to a place that God is not. It is not possible. And again, we must exercise caution here before casting judgment on Jonah and put ourselves in his shoes. How many times do we also forget this very same thing and have bad theology? We allow our busted motivators to control us And we think that God's not listening in on that conversation we're having where we are slandering or gossiping. We think that God might not see us. He might not realize what our schedule is when we claim that we're too busy to spend time with Him. And we forget that He knows. He knows better than our phones do what our screen time is. He knows how many hours you have spent on Netflix without having to look up your account information and know your password. He knows about your hobbies. He knows how we spend our money. The money he gives us to be stewards of. He's there when we fail to share the grace and love of Jesus Christ with somebody as they're opening their heart up and expressing their pain 
and hopelessness. And we don't take advantage of that opportunity to share with them the only answer there is, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's also there when we flee towards the temptation and flee from God when it comes to lust or sexual immorality or adultery. When we use our time, our money, our talents that he gives us for our own gain instead of for him. What is it then about our, bus motor, our busted motivator that needs overhauled? What is it about our theology that needs tweaked and corrected? How? How? Well, I think the root issue for Jonah here is that he didn't fully trust God. He didn't fully trust God, that God had a plan in mind for him, for the Ninevites, for all of the nations of the world, even the ones in Tarshish, where he was attempting to go. He didn't trust that God had that worked out, that God has eternity in mind. I think it's also our same root issue when we also are in Jonah's shoes and we flee or our theology goes bad, our motivators pouring out smoke and sparks that we fail in our trust for God that we don't trust him as we should how do you have the opportunity to trust somebody better and more so When you got to know your spouse, your, your friend, your whomever, you may not have started initially trusting them right away, but as time, and went on, time went on, you spent more and more time with them, you had the opportunity to observe them, make decisions, and, and learn how they were going to respond to things, learn how they were going to respond to you, right? That's where trust has the opportunity to grow and develop. I did some calculations. If we only spend time with God on Sunday mornings, that's literally only 0.01% of our week. So if we say, hey, I go to church, that's good. How are you or me, how are we ever going to get to a place of truly trusting God when we are only spending 0.01% of our week with him? The math doesn't add up. We should spend time with him daily in his word. And I'm just going to call it like it is. There is time in our days. Every single one of us in this room waste time every day. Me included. Me included. And to say that we don't have time or we're too busy is a bad excuse. It's revealing our busted motivator. We've got to spend time in His Word. God can speak to us audibly. He has the ability to do that, but he can speak to us every day right here in this book. And guys, here in the United States, we are without excuse. We are not like the people that Pioneer Bible are trying to reach where they don't have the word translated in their language and they don't have smartphones where they can get apps with it. Guys, you can get a free app called Uversion. Download the version you want. And while you drive around and hit play and listen to the Bible while you're driving, you are without excuse. I am without excuse in spending time in the Word each and every day.
prayer, obviously, is a huge part of this. And it's got to be. And that is something we can do all day. We don't get to drive around all day, right? Most of us have a place to be and go and do and things like that. So we may not get to be in the Word all day, every day. There's other things to do. And God gets that. He gets that. But can we pray all day? Yeah, we can. I've got to run in and get a grocery real quick. Lord, thanks. Thanks for allowing me to get this. Thanks for providing so I can get this item. Instead of being like, dang, man, I just wish we'd just plan out our grocery better and I wouldn't have to stop in the middle of the week and get this three or four times. Let's just go once a week. No, quit grumbling, quit complaining. Lord, thanks. Hey, Lord, while I'm in here, while I'm in here, let me be aware of those around me. Lord, let me be open to a conversation where I might get to share you with them, the good news, the answer. Driving down the road, the guy cuts you off. Well, we could go two ways here, right? (laughs) Try praying for him. Lord, I don't know what their story is today. I am frustrated about that. (laughs) That was rude. But you know what? They've got their own story. And Lord, I just ask that you would be with them. If they don't know you, Lord, would you open their eyes? Would you bring somebody into their life? They could share the gospel with them. If they do know you, Lord, help them through their issue and problem of life where they feel like they have to cut somebody off right now. We can have that going inside our heads all day long. Lord, help me guard my mouth so I don't gossip and slander. God, I'm struggling with this person. I'm going to choose to pray for them instead. Somebody recently tried to run my daughter-in-law through the reamer and so my wife and I are like well scripture says to pray for my enemies so they just got bumped to the top of our prayer list right because they became our enemies (laughs) so we better pray for them and as we pray for them they're not our enemies anymore because God changes our heart towards to his for others God, as God's heart was going out to the Ninevites as their sin was coming up before him. Guys, we must trust him. He is so trustworthy. He is so faithful. If you have not done so, give your life to him. can trust him with it you know what it's like trying to handle your life on your own (laughs) like the droid in Star Wars sparks and smoke and can't even get over to your new destination he's never going to ask us to do something or go somewhere that he isn't already working and already there And he's saying, join me. Join me. I want you to experience the joy and the satisfaction. I want you to be happy. Not because of material things, but because of your love for me, because of your love for my people. And if you're wondering if what he's telling you is like a crazy voice in your side of your head instead of his voice, line it up with Scripture. Line it up with scripture. Go to somebody you know and trust that loves the Lord as well. Ask them to pray for you in that. Let's check our trust for God, shall we? And as we do so, we've got one last song that's going to play. We've got one last song that's going to play and um, the words are going to be on the screen. Feel free to stand and sing. Feel free to kneel and pray. Feel free to do business with God during this time. This is just an opportunity for us. To, there's words to help us reflect if we need it. Maybe you don't need them and you already know what you need to do. Guys, we have a prayer room back there. If that's where you need to go and be, go. Uh, the front's yours if you want in your chair, 
Let this just be a time. And then as this song ends, we're dismissed. And if folks are still praying around you, praise God. I'll stay here all afternoon. We don't have to lock up early if this is where you need to pray. Okay? But if you do need to go or want to go, would you just leave quietly and we can do our visiting and fellowshipping out there. All right? Let me pray for us as we enter this time. Lord, I'm so humbled and so grateful that you are trustworthy. That you are so merciful to forgive us when we don't trust you. When we run the other way, when we ignore what you desire for us to be and do. You're a loving Father wanting the best for us, Lord, and you're not asking us to do things that are, not that they're easy, God, but you're not wanting to ask us to do things that are bad for us, bad for our souls. Do you have eternity in mind? So, Lord, let this last few minutes together, Lord, in this time, be a time where we respond to you for who you are, your love for us, your grace for us, and how trustworthy you are. You would bring to mind anything we might need to confess to you, turn back over to you, and reestablish the strength of your love and your wisdom in our life to follow you more boldly. That it would not just be today, God, but it would be every day of every week. You are good, Father. Amen.